Would you turn in your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 18? I want to jump right into the message. And uh, I'm entitling my message, From Drought to Drenched. There it is. From Drought to Drenched. I wanted you to see this picture. On the left-hand side, you've got just a just a complete drought, and you see a little water in the background that is just receding. And how many of you know when drought comes, the land is parched, and it's, 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 it's just dry? My brother-in-law, Chuck, as you know, uh, has a great church in Abilene, and a few years ago, Abilene experienced a great drought, and so much so that the local pastors began to pray. And they began to come together. And literally out of that drought, out of that physical drought, a spiritual awakening began to happen in Abilene. Sometimes when we experience a spiritual drought in our lives, it's because the Lord is looking for us to seek him. Sometimes we rebuke the devourer, which we should, but sometimes the Lord allows droughts in our lives so that we begin to seek him and go after him. And that's what happened in Abilene. And it was literally, I can't remember the exact date and how many years that this went on for several years where they were just just experiencing this crisis. And these pastors really began to seek and begin to come together on a regular basis. And finally, the rain broke. And it was during one of their calls that they called the entire city together and several thousand uh, believers came out together and on the day that those believers came together the rain literally began to fall in that meeting and from then on they haven't experienced that type of drought since then that's God now I want to go to first Kings 18 and for those of you that know your word know as soon as you turn there exactly what this is this is Elisha, or Elijah, excuse me, facing down the prophets of Baal. It's one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, especially since Elijah and Elisha are my favorite prophets. I love to preach on them. And I've preached many messages out of 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 40. But I'm going to literally preach those first 40 verses in about two and a half minutes. And if you want to time me, that's fine. But I'm going to preach those first 40 verses because I want to get to the next part. There's a statement in this chapter that, that I haven't been able to get away from all week. It's been like, like hunting me down. And I want to get to that verse. So the, the first way to go from a drought to getting drenched, the first thing you need to do that we learn in the first 40 verses is simply get right with God. Look at your neighbor and say, get right. Yeah. So go ahead, preach to your neighbor right now and just say, get right. Come on, guys in the back. Get right with God. Get right with God. That is the most important thing that we can do to go from drought to drench is to get right with God. Now, these pastors in Abilene, they weren't, they weren't away from God. They weren't far from God. They were preaching the gospel every week. They were ministering to the sick. They were praying for people. They were doing the work of the ministry. They weren't sinful, but they needed to get right. They needed to get their priorities right. They needed to recognize that unity needed to happen in the city between the churches. They got right with God. You see, getting right with God is not always about sin, although that is a big thing. If you've got sin in your life, then get right with God. Joni and I were talking about this just uh, this week, that there are people in the world that think that they can get off drugs, get off alcohol, get out of sinful lifestyles by doing it themselves. How many of you know that never works? You can clean yourself up to a certain degree, but that thing will always chase you back down. The only way to get truly free is to get right with God. When you get your spirit right, we learn Wednesday night, when you get your spirit right, everything else begins to flow right. That's it. Was that two and a half minutes? Get right with God. Ready for the next point? All right, good. Why don't you go over to verse 41. 
verse 41. After they got right with God, after Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal, it says in verse 41, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. There is a sound of a heavy rain. Holy Spirit, I pray that the words that I preach today would be heard in our spirits. Not my words, Lord, but your word be elevated above everything else. Let us leave here changed in Jesus' name by your word. Amen? Elijah said to Ahab, get up, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. The NLT says, I hear the sound of rain coming. I hear the sound of rain coming. Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 to repent. That's getting right with God. And then he said, if you repent, then times of refreshing will come from the Lord. He told the crowd there, if you repent, then times of refreshing will come from the Lord. You notice that doesn't say time of refreshing, a time of refreshing. What does it say? It says times. Come on, church. It says times of refreshing. The Lord wants to bring times of refreshing throughout your life. Hmm. The Spirit brings times of refreshing throughout your life. And when you get right with God, we're in that place and we're ready to receive. But there's something else we need to do, and it's what Elijah did. We need to listen up. We tell our kids that a lot. Now, listen up, Nate. Get these slides right. Listen up, right? Listen up. Listen up. What is it that Elijah heard that others didn't hear? What is it that Elijah was able to hear that Ahab could not hear? He literally tells Ahab, go ahead and go party, go start the party, get the party started down below. Get the food ready, get everything ready. We're going to serve God from this point on. Now, Jezebel was already down the mountain, and she wasn't going to agree with that, but that's a whole other sermon. But he told Ahab, go ahead and get the food ready, get the party ready. But what did Elijah do? Elijah stayed behind. I'll go ahead and tell you. In verse 42, he stayed behind to pray. There is a time to party and there is a time to pray. The rain hadn't started yet, so Elijah said, it's not time to party yet, it's time to pray. It's time to pray. It's time to seek the Lord. And in that, Elijah knew how to listen. He knew how to hear from the Lord. He understood even before John wrote it, he let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. You may think, man, Pastor, that's like a broken record verse on you this year. Yes, it will be. I will say it many more times in 2020 because I want us to be a church that hears what the Spirit says. We're learning that in this uh, healing room training to listen to what the Spirit says and then speak that out so that people can be touched and changed. We're learning to listen, to have ears to hear what the Spirit says so that lives can be changed. Now, in the story, there was no evidence of a storm brewing. Think of it. It was drought. There was not one evidence, nothing to see in the sky. Nothing to smell in the atmosphere. No breeze to touch the face. No drops of rain to land on the tongue. Not one thing. There was no evidence of a rainstorm coming. Yet even though they couldn't see it, taste it, touch it, or feel it, Elijah heard it. (laughs) Can I tell you, one of the most important senses we have in the Spirit is to hear. Oh, we want to feel the Spirit, don't we? I love feeling the Spirit. 
I love it when I feel the spirit there. There are some this this hasn't happened to me that I can remember. But there are some who who when when uh, God wants to heal through them, sometimes they'll feel that I have felt that sometimes like I, I felt my back really all of a sudden start to hurt. And I know that God wants to heal somebody in their back. I've felt that. But but there are some who like says that every time that the Lord wants to heal through them, they feel their hands get really hot. I think that's cool. I'd like that, Lord. But he hasn't given it to me. So it's neat to have feel the spirit. It's it's awesome to feel those what we call Holy Ghost goosebumps. Come on, somebody. It's it's really awesome. And I don't know for those of you, maybe you've even smelt the spirit. Joni, this has happened to her many times where she smells something and she's like, that's not natural. That's not natural. How many of you know he's the rose of Sharon? And sometimes she'll smell literally a strong rose smell and it and it's not natural. It's it's supernatural. Right. So I believe God can touch all five of our senses. But above all, I think we need to learn to listen. Learn to hear what the spirit is saying. Elijah could hear what the spirit was saying, I liked this quote. It's from Nietzsche. I don't know if I like a lot of his quotes, but I like this one. It's those who danced looked quite insane to those who couldn't hear the music. Those who danced looked quite insane to those who couldn't hear the music. Remember when wireless headphones first came out? Or maybe even before that, and you would see somebody walking down the, the road, and you would see them, and, and maybe you'd notice them, and they looked like they were talking to themselves. Anybody remember that? But what you didn't know is they had one of those little Bluetooth. My, my brother, my only uh, biological brother, some of you have met him. If you've ever met him, you'll always notice he has one of those. It's not a hearing aid. It's, it's, it's one of those, he's had them for years. He's always had one of those devices. And sometimes he'll be talking and I'll be like, are you talking to me or talking to, you know, what's going on? That's, that's what we need to be in the spirit. We need to be able to have that hearing so that we can hear what others don't hear. I can tell you're into that. I'm going to move on. Number two, look at verse 42. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. He climbed to the mount, top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Secondly, I believe to move from drought to drenched, from, from drought to a deluge, is we need to humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves. You see, humility is recognizing who you are and who he is and not mixing that up. Humility is recognizing who you are and who he is and not mixing that up. We're humble. We recognize that any gifting we have from God is from God. Anything we have is from above. Every good and perfect gift is where? From God. Above, it's from God. We recognize that, and we walk in that humility. That's not to say we beat ourselves up and always talk about how horrible we are and, oh, I'm just a terrible sinner. And, and I'm, No, you're a saint of the Most High God. But how did you become a saint? You became a saint because Jesus died on the cross. So there's that understanding. And I think in the body of Christ, we typically go to one extreme or the other. We go to this, oh, man, I'm, I'm blessed and highly favored, and I'm just all that in a bag of chips, yes, and God needs me. No, he doesn't need you. But then we go sometimes to the other extreme, oh, I'm just such a worm. I'm just a worm. Before. Oh, I'm just a worm. No, you're not. You're neither. When you walk in humility with God, the Bible says, he who is humble, he will be lifted up. Pride comes before a fall. Come on. But the one who is humble, the Lord lifts him up. And that's where Elijah was. Elijah had just seen the destruction of an entire religious system. He'd seen it topple. He had just, with about a 35-second prayer, 
called down fire from heaven. The other prophets worked themselves up for about eight to ten hours and didn't even get so much as a firefly. I mean, nothing. But the, but the prophet, 35 seconds, poof, fire from heaven. Now, <laughs> I've seen a lot of great things and a lot of great pastors and preachers and teachers and evangelists and prophets and apostles, and, and I've seen some pretty cool signs and wonders and miracles, and I've seen some pretty big crowds, but I've never seen one of them call down fire from heaven. Not once. Maybe you have. I haven't. But I can tell you something. Elijah, in spite of that, was humble. He knew who his God was. We watched the Reinhard Bonnke memorial a couple of weeks ago, the memorial service. And that was one of the things I noticed. I think it was almost a four-hour memorial service. One of the things I noticed from, I mean, they had major, major, you know, generals in the army of God from all over the world from all over almost every continent, speaking about Reinhard Bonnke and what he had done. And almost to a fault, it was like they had a script, they almost all said he was one of the most humble men I've ever met. Reinhard Bonnke preached to more people face-to-face than any other human alive or dead in history. That's a true statement. Reinhard Bonnke spoke to more people than the presidents, more people than heads of state, more more than Billy Graham. He spoke to more people face-to-face than any other person in the world. And yet what was spoken of at his memorial was he was a humble man. Makes me want to be humble. Makes me want to say, God, help me to remember who I am and who you are. Elijah knew that. Next, verse 43 Elijah looked at his servant and said, go and look toward the sea. And his servant went up and looked. There is nothing there, the servant said. Seven times, say that. Seven times. Come on, church, say that. Seven times. Say it again. Seven times. One more time. Seven times. Go ahead and add another. Seven times. Go ahead and add the seventh. Seven times. Doesn't that get annoying after a little while? Seven times he said, go back. Now, we did seven times really fast. But imagine you're over here, and about a quarter of a mile away is the edge of the cliff. And he says, go out there. And you walk out there. Look, 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 come back. Nothing. Go back. Look, 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 nothing. Nothing. Go back. Hello? Sometimes we need to slow down when we're reading Scripture to get the full effect of what he's saying. And to us, seven times may not seem like much, but look at it this way. God worked for six days creating the known universe, then rested on the what? Seventh. Joseph had how many years of plenty? Seven. How many years of drought? Seven. That's 14 years. That's a long time. Seven priests walked ahead of the Ark of the Covenant, blowing their trumpet for six days. Then on the what day? They marched. Come on, you can do this. They marched seven times before the walls fell down. Elisha prayed for the Shunammite son and the child sneezed and was raised from the dead. Elisha also told Naaman to wash yeah, in the Jordan River to be healed of leprosy. And he didn't like that. He didn't even want to dip once, much less seven times in that place. Proverbs 24, 16 says that the righteous man trips but he what? Gets back up. Every time. Jesus told us that if someone wrongs us seven times a day, yet ask for forgiveness each time, our response is to forgive them seven times. 
God began with the seven-day timeline and called the first day holy and the seventh day rest. But then in Revelation, it is revealed that seven angels will hold seven bowls with seven plagues to wrap this whole thing up and release them seven times. What's the message of the word of God concerning the number seven? Don't give up. Or in the almost words of Winston Churchill, don't ever, 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 ever give in. Don't give up. If God has given you a word and you've heard a word from the Lord, then don't give in to fear. Don't give in to doubt. Don't give in to what others say. Keep pressing through. The rain will come. Do you know something we've learned in the natural about droughts? They don't last forever. There has never been a drought in this earth that lasted the entire time. Rain's got to come. The rain will come. We've got to hold on. Seven times at least, we've got to hold on and keep holding on. You say, but I'm, I've been waiting for my prodigal to come home. And I've just given up hope. Don't give up hope. We who are of the God of hope do not give up hope. We hold on and we say, God, you promised, you gave me my, you gave me that word. I'm hearing what the Spirit is saying, that prodigals will come home, that me and my household shall be, come on church, saved. So therefore, I'm holding on to that word. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving in. I'm not going to let go. Don't give in. Embrace persistence. Embrace it with all you have and say, if I do anything. There's, there's a story that Jesus tells about persisting in prayer. I love the story. Do you remember it? About the widow. Jesus loved widows. Loved them so much. He used them in multiple ways, in multiple illustrations. The prophets love widows. God loves widows and orphans so much. He becomes their husband and father. And he said about this widow, he said, she came to the unjust judge. That's an important word in there, unjust. In other words, this, this, Jesus said this, just, or this unjust judge did not believe in God. He did not serve God. And yet, this widow kept coming to him day after day after day. And what did the judge finally say? Because, not because I think she deserves it, but because she keeps pestering me, because she keeps bothering me, I'm going to finally give her justice. And then Jesus said this to us, how much more? Oh, come on. How much more will your heavenly Father Give to those who ask. We don't come to an unjust judge. We come to a righteous judge. And that righteous judge happens to be our papa. (laughs) He's our papa. And he looks at us. And I don't know what in in what language, but he says, you are my habibi. You are my beloved. You are the one I love. Anybody getting anything out of this today? Well, if not yet, hold on. Because what we learn further from Elijah is in verse 44, the seventh time the servant reported, and this is the statement that has been bugging me all week. A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Now think about that. What does that mean? A cloud as small as a man's hand. Have you ever been to a place like a sea or the ocean? Have you ever been to a beach? Have you ever been privileged to stand maybe on a cliff and just see sea? Just see ocean. No trees in the way, nothing on the horizon. Have you ever, anybody, 
Wave your hand at me if you've ever gotten to see something like that. Isn't it amazing? It's one of Joni's favorite places, just to hear the ocean waves and to smell all that salty smell and all of that. And there's something about that. But how big is the cloud the size of a man's hand on a horizon? It's pretty small. I think of it in this way. Put my fist out there and just look at the vast horizon. That's pretty small. But on the seventh time, when? The seventh time, the servant saw it. And the servant may have even thought, is this even worthy of going back to the master and saying anything about? But maybe he was so tired on the seventh trek that he just decided, you know what, I finally see something different. It's not much, Master, but I see just a little cloud on the horizon. Just this little thing on the horizon. And Elijah, it says in the NLT, Elijah stood up and shouted, Go tell Ahab, hitch up his ride and get down before the rain stops. That word is not just like, oh, you see a little cloud? That's great. No, the word there is that he shouted, come on, we got to hurry up. Get that man down the mountain. Get him moving. The cloud is about to overtake us. And don't you think that servant is going, what? It's just a little cloud, Elijah. But the servant was smart because he had seen Elijah call down fire from heaven with a 35-second calm prayer. So if Elijah's shouting now, don't you think that servant got up and went? He realized something's about to happen. I mean, that's, that got on him. He's like, well, I thought it was just a little cloud, but okay, let's go. He jumped into action when he heard that news. Here's the point I want to make. Don't despise small beginnings. Don't despise small victories. I want to show you a video. It's, it's of a video of a man that, we, that I met when I went to Georgia, but it was before I got to Georgia. I met him in the United Arab Emirates. His name is Pastor Fred. He's a friend. And I want to show you this video that they just sent me. You'll probably have to watch this one. That one's freaking out a little bit. But go ahead, guys, if you can play that. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, that's so nice. He's shuffling ahead. Let me tell you the backstory. Three years ago, Pastor Fred was preaching to a congregation just like this, preaching on the grace of God and how that grace will lead you through any situation, anything. And he was in the middle of his sermon notes when as he's preaching on the grace of God, a stroke like lightning came and hit him And he fell to the ground. And for the last three years, he's been paralyzed. His wife sent me three of these videos. That's just one. And said, Pastor, for the first time in three years, he's taking his first steps without assistance. And he's taking his first steps and keeping his own balance. Don't despise small beginnings. Other people may just think that you're just shuffling along. 
but you and God know it's moving. It may just be a little cloud that's just hanging out out there, but that's my answer. God is moving on my behalf. God is moving on the behalf of his people. Don't be the servant. Be the prophet in this and jump up and celebrate those small little victories and say, yes, God, you're moving. You see, it's, it's kind of like testimony time. Sometimes we're like, hear somebody's testimony and they get up and and are like man praise god you know just like greg earlier it was an awesome testimony but somebody could say well he's still got a little cough though why is it that we always look in that negative side it's time to begin to celebrate the victories and by the way i haven't heard you cough all service i don't know if you've just been doing really good but i think god's healed you all the way amen i mean it's like it's just like we got to begin to celebrate the victories and for some reason we get into this thing in our head that's just like well if i thank god too early then maybe it's not going to happen what if, we don't live by curses come on somebody we don't live by by those things no we have the power of life in our tongue Oh, but we have the power of death. No, 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 no. The power of life is greater than the power of death. We have the power of life in our tongue. And we need to begin to celebrate those victories. As we're waiting for the full deluge, let's thank God for the drops that are beginning to fall. I wrote this, and I don't know if they got this up here, but drought-busting storms often begin as little clouds. I quoted myself there. Drought-busting storms, that should go somewhere, I don't know where. But drought-busting storms often begin as little clouds. I want to give you one more thing that I see here. It says in verse 45, meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose and a heavy rain came on. You notice how all the senses now were fully alive. First, it was just hearing. Now they're all alive. You could reach out and feel the wind. You could put your tongue out and taste the rain. You could smell. Don't you love that smell when the rain is coming? You, all of a sudden now you can smell it. The, the whole atmosphere shifted. And it says, it came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel and the power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Elijah was a prophet with a message from God that was born out of his time with God. Elijah's prayer a few minutes before had brought fire from heaven, had broken the drought, and now released the heavy rain on the land. I want to tell you something. Our prayers will shift atmospheres. On Wednesday night, right before the teaching, the Lord just kind of dropped that into my heart. Our prayers will shift atmospheres. You know that that man has been trying for centuries to control the weather. Have you heard that? Now, if you, depending on who you watch and who you believe, they think they've done it. They think they've got it, right? But they've been trying for centuries to figure out not just how to read the weather, but to control the weather. Oh, boy. Won't that be great when man gets a hold of the weather, right? But it's something that has eluded them. It's something that continues to elude them And yet, Elijah did it centuries and centuries ago. Almost 2,500, 2,700 years ago, he was shifting the atmosphere by his prayer. Do you know I believe that people of God have been shifting the atmosphere for years? I began with a story of pastors in Abilene, Texas, who began to pray and come into unity and come into alignment with God. And it wasn't a day before, it wasn't the day after, it was the very day when all the churches finally gathered together in unity that the rains began to fall and the drought was broken. That was just a few years ago. Our prayers will shift atmospheres. James says that 
in verse 5, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again and the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. That's a, that's part of the story that we don't read in first Kings is that not only did the rain come and the, and the, the lakes begin to fill up and the rivers begin to fill up, but literally harvest returned to the earth. The earth began to yield its crops. The promise was given to the people of God as well in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles 7 and 14. If you know it, quote it. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Come on, say this out loud together. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. He goes on and says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. Do you see what God did there? He said, when you open up your ears to me, I open up my ears to you. When you begin to see me, I begin to see you. What does that mean? God always hears us, right? He always knows. So what is he saying there? He's saying, my ears and my eyes will be turned to you. All of a sudden, your concern becomes my concern because you've humbled yourselves, because you've repented, because you've turned to me. I now turn my full focus, manifest attention to you. Wow. Go back to that verse, guys. Second Chronicles seven fifteen. The next one. Look at that. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. Who makes those prayers? Hello? Come on. Raise your hand. Who makes those prayers? We do. And did you know that that wasn't just Old Testament? That it's also in the future? We have in the scripture that literally all the prayers of the saints from the past and the present and the future are one day going to be combined. Look at Revelation chapter 8. This is my last verse. Then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar. And a great amount of incense was given for, to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Watch what happens. This is, we're literally seeing what's going to happen. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it upon the earth and thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. When God releases the final day of the Lord and final vengeance of our God, can I tell you your prayers are mixed with it? It is a mixture of all the prayers of the saints of old and all the saints of now. It is a mixture of all of the martyrs' prayers that are crying out from under the altar. When will we, when will you bring justice upon the land? When will our blood be avenged for? It's going to be mixed with all those prayers. And then God's going to say, atmosphere is about to be shifted in a major way. Woo! Talk about fire from heaven. Our prayers shift atmospheres. Joni made a statement earlier, a couple of weeks ago. She said that 2019, that we've prayed more as a body than I think we ever have before. And what I want to say about that is, let's make 2020 a year of prayer. Let's make 2020 even greater than last year. 
Let's make 2020 a year that will be said of us and said in heaven, they sought me. They sought me and they found me. I believe that we have opportunities to come together in prayer. I love the partnership that we're gaining with, um, with Lewis Hogan and his ministry to pray for America. We're now one of, of a network of 10,000 churches that are praying for America and that are continuing to, to bombard heaven. We're, we're just one of 10,000, and he's going for 30,000. I love that we're a part of that. I love what we're doing on Wednesday mornings by, by coming together and praying. Many of you are joining us from online and you're, and you're throwing out your prayer requests, but you're also praying for different nations of the world and, and different requests from around the world. Pastor Fred that we just saw a few minutes ago has been one of our subjects of prayer in those meetings. I love how we're coming together on Sunday morning and when we pray together and we're continuing to pray. Our French ministry, led by Pastor Simon and Vivian, is, has been faithful every year to begin this house of prayer to, to, to connect the previous year to the new year, every single year for several years now. We will continue that and more. Now we're taking it to the next level. How many of you know if you want God to go to the next level, then you need to go to the next level? So we're taking it to the next level. So, guys, if you have that uh, shot, we are now going to do our first ever International Prayer Summit. It's going to be on February 28th, 29th, March 1st. I'm calling it Leap Year Weekend because it's Leap Year. February 29th is Leap Year Day, right? You get an extra day this year. Did you not know that? No more 365. You get 366. What if you said, I'm going to take that extra day and I'm going to devote it to prayer? What if we took that extra day and said, God, we're going to give this day to you. Now, I'd like for you to give Friday too, if that's all right. But if you can't give Friday, at least Saturday, the 29th, give up that leap year day to prayer. You say, I've never prayed all day. I don't know what that looks like. That's okay. We'll have the schedule done by then. You just come and participate. We're already lining up speakers. Lewis Hogan, which I told you about just now, is going to be our speaker on Saturday morning. But we're not just going to have, listen, I need you to hear this. This is something I learned in Georgia. We're not just going to have speakers. Speakers are good. It's good to have good speakers. But all the speakers are there to do is to prompt us to pray. So we have a speaker, 20, 30 minutes maybe, and then we pray. We're going to give equal amount of time of prayer to every speaker. We're going to hear the word of the Lord. We're going to hear the heart of God for the nations, for our nation. We're going to hear the heart of God for for multiple things, and then we're going to pray. And here's what I believe. I believe we're going to shift atmospheres. I want to say this, and and I don't mean it as as a slight in all to the American church. I really don't. I know I'm hard on the American church, but this is not a slight. But our brothers and sisters around the world have been doing this for decades. And the American church used to do this. And we can bemoan where the American church is and we can talk about how bad it is and all of that. Or we can get on our face and we can begin to seek the Lord. Did you know that President Trump just recently signed into law the freedom to pray in public schools again? Did you know that? That just passed. What exactly does that mean? I'm not sure. But I know this. In 1988, President Ronald Reagan in my humble estimation, the greatest president we've ever had. But President Ronald Reagan signed into law the Equal Access Law. Do you remember that? Anybody remember the Equal Access Law? Do you know what the Equal Access Law did for me as a high school student in 1988? Actually, I take that back. It was 1984 because I graduated in 87. It was 1984. He signed into law, I think it was in January or February, the Equal Access Act. This is what it did for me as a high school student at Pasco High School in Fort Worth, Texas. As a freshman in high school, we were meeting as a group of Christians from multiple denominations and churches, 
in the hallway or in the front foyer of our high school. And that group began to grow. The problem was, is that anybody been into a high school foyer 20 minutes before school starts? It's a little rowdy. And unfortunately, the rowdiness wasn't just from kids talking about the game or whatever. The rowdiness was literally coming from different gangs and and take that word gangs, and I mean exactly what I mean by it, gangs. We had multiple gangs at Pasco High School. And these gangs didn't like what they were seeing, and atheists didn't like what they were seeing, and other religious groups didn't like what they were seeing. This little Christian group began to grow, and the circle began to grow as we would hold hands and we would pray. And they began to throw things at us. They threw spit wads at us. Then it was gum. Then it was rocks. They literally were throwing things at us as we're praying in the foyer. And then Ronald Reagan signed into law the Equal Access Law, and we moved from the foyer to a classroom. Let me tell you why we did that because before that time Pasco High School in Fort Worth Texas in 1983 said religious groups do not have access to classrooms like other groups do in the high school so don't tell me what what President Trump just signed into law doesn't mean anything I don't know what it means yet but I know something it means something And from that point on, my own son is now a Youth Alive missionary, and he doesn't even think about me and what I went through. He doesn't think about me and those other believers that gathered in that foyer and were persecuted and were made fun of and were so drowned out by the sounds around us that we couldn't even pray. You say, well, wouldn't that be the better place to be? Well, you tell me. Because then we could go to that room, we could pray, and then go out of that room And then we could bring the glory. God is doing something in our time. There is a statement that I made several years ago when we decided to jump full force into into the evangelism movement in, in 2017. And that statement was this. We've got to seize the opportunity of a lifetime in the lifetime of the opportunity. I know Steve Hill said it. I don't know who said it before that. But we've got to seize the opportunity of a lifetime in the lifetime of the opportunity. And I believe 2020, God has provided us with an opportunity of a lifetime. And it's to join together in prayer like never before. And it's to shift atmospheres. And it's to break the drought, the spiritual drought over the land and bring a deluge of God's glory, his reign over America again, his reign over the earth. He said, I will cover the uh, I will cover the earth with my glory as the waters cover the sea. I want you to stand with me. Let me tell you something. Why did those kids throw spitballs and rocks and, and pennies and nickels at us? Why, were they, why did they care what we did? I didn't understand it at the time, but I understand it now. It's because it, it wasn't them that cared. It was the demonic spirits inside them that cared. Let me say that again. It wasn't them, those kids that cared. It was the demonic spirits inside them that cared. Do you know why it's so hard to pray? It's not hard to pray. It's really not. But do you know why it is? Because the enemy doesn't want us to pray. The enemy will do everything he can to divide our prayers. He even lied to Elijah and said, you're the only one left. There's no other prophets, Elijah, that are going to agree with you. He didn't even know. that the commander of Ahab's army had hidden a hundred prophet in caves, 50 in one cave and 50 in another. And what do you think those prophets were doing, just hiding out there? What do you think those prophets were doing? They were praying. And Elijah didn't even know it. He found out right before the battle. But he didn't know it before then. Can I tell you, those 50 and 50 prophets, those hundred prophets, they came out of the woodwork after that. 
they formed a school of prophets. I mean, they got all high and mighty, right? I mean, they just, they organized themselves and they began to do stuff. You may think you're alone, but we're not alone. You may think we're small, but we're not small. We are part of a network of millions of believers around the world that are seeking God for revival, not only in their nation, but in our nation in America. This is what I want to do. If you need to repent, you go ahead and do that. If you need to take care of those sins or those things that easily beset you, go ahead and do that before God. Just do it right here, right now. But otherwise, I want us to commit our hearts to the Lord and say, Lord, prayer is not hard. It's not hard to pray to you. But I've allowed the enemy and I've allowed the flesh and I've allowed other things to come in the way between me and you in prayer. So God, forgive me. Forgive me for allowing the busyness of life, the noise of the outside, the pressures, all of that. Forgive me for allowing those things to distract me from seeking your face, oh God. Forgive me for allowing disagreements for allowing other things to keep me from joining my brothers and sisters and praying together. God, forgive us. Help us to hear your voice once again. Help us to see you moving. Help us to rejoice in the small victories. Lord, let us not despise the days of small beginnings. God, let this prayer movement move. Because we know who we are and who you are, God. We look to you. God, we want to see atmosphere shifted. We want to see mountains move. Lord, we need you. We call on you, Jesus. We call on you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Paxton, can we sing Holy Spirit?